Elevates on a three. It's an air ball. Wow. And the Aces have gone the road to Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky and stunned the number one Wildcats 67-64. This is Aces on the Air, the official podcast for Evansville Athletics. Craig lines it into center field base hit. Here comes Brooks from around third. He will score. And the Aces walk it off again. Aces on the Air is brought to you by Toroni's Pizzeria and Brewery. Claim a $3 off value at any 2023-2024 UE Athletics event on campus. Sherry sends one into shallow right field. It's a base hit. Here comes Craig around third. There is no throw. Simon says game winner. Now here's the voice of the Aces, Jevin Redmond. From the Purple Aces Sports Network, this is Aces on the Air, brought to you by Tronies and powered by Learfield. I'm Jevin Rebin. Thanks for being with us again this week, Aces fans, as we have two guests on Episode 16. First, we'll hear from Headman soccer coach Robbie Tarver. Uh, he had his interim tag removed this past October, getting ready for the spring season coming up on Saturday. They'll be at IU. Later on in Episode 16, we'll hear from Ziggy Siegfried, Director of Athletics. He'll give us an update from the Athletic Department, talk men's basketball, NIL, schedule for next year, and also the spring season. And I hope you stay with us for that as well. This uh, Aces on the Air is brought to you by Tronies and powered by Learfield Aces fans. Anytime you attend an Aces game on campus, right now with Women's Basketball Mixed Family Fieldhouse, they're also baseball and softball. You can get your $3 off voucher for your next trip to Tronies. With that, Robbie Tarver joins us. He is the head men's soccer coach. Again, just went through his first year as the head coach and had the interim tag removed back in October. Robbie, thanks for joining us. Uh, it gets busy for you guys. Spring season coming up on Saturday at IU. How do you feel year one versus year two? I think you'd be a lot more comfortable right yeah i definitely think uh there's some some more comfort in terms of just knowing uh kind of the ins and outs of the role and how how it's changed um you know spring is a little bit of a different beast we're training in the morning uh early mornings for for college guys is is hard and it's hard for the coaches too but i think uh you know, we're, we're forming a really good base for, for what should be a, a fun fall season. As you reflect on your first year as a head coach, you guys go 4-8-4 and four overall, 2-4-2 two, and two in the conference. As you reflect on year one, uh, what do you think you learned most uh, in the new position? You know, your role changes as you go from assistant to head coach and I think uh, some of those relationships with the guys change you're you have to you're you're the final call on every decision I think as the assistant coach uh, you know you're very involved Marshall allowed me to be very involved in all aspects of the program but ultimately it was his decision on everything right um, and so that changed where you're you're making every decision uh, you're disciplining guys you're um, you're talking a lot more I didn't realize how much more you spoke um, so I, I've had to drink more water to keep my my mouth wet and ready to ready to talk at any time um, and I think you're always uh, as a head coach crafting a narrative to your team and how you want to progress forward and move forward and and kind of take what you've learned throughout the season and apply that for the rest of it so it was definitely a transition uh, probably a little bit harder than I anticipated um, especially coming from within the program and feeling like I knew um, a lot about how it operated and a lot of the guys were you know I was the main recruiter on a lot of guys so the the relationship with the players was probably the easiest easy part but I think that dynamic does change a little bit when you go from assistant coach to head coach. It was October 9th when you had the interim tag removed. Um, I know Ziggy got the team together and made the announcement. Is that when you found out about having the interim tag removed or did you know before that what was your reaction whenever you found out? Yeah I knew I knew like two days before probably. Um, You know we had talked 
we had ongoing talks throughout the season about how everything was going, what we were going to do moving forward. Um, it was definitely a relief, I think, even if you want to make everything about the team and, and the players, which is your ultimate goal, is you're, you're here for the players and their development. And um, that interim tag is hanging over you and, and the staff. And I think having that removed definitely was a lot of relief for, for us. And I think for the players, too, um, especially with kind of the new ecosystem with the transfer portal and things like that, you know, if, if the interim tag wasn't removed, those guys would probably be making decisions about their future. So I think it, it did clear some stuff up and make everybody feel a little bit better. And, um, you know, I thought the way Ziggy announced it was cool. And I think uh, it was it was cool to see how the guys responded and how excited they were. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a proud moment for sure. So after you found out about you getting the full-time position, interim tag removed, what was your first phone call or text? Who was it to? Uh, I, it was probably my wife, Kelsey, and then my parents, um, and then just friends from the coaching world slash back home. You know, I I uh, I like to maintain uh, contact with a lot of the people that I've coached with in the past, and you know they were always asking for updates and where things stand, and uh, so just communicating with them, the the good news was fun. You mentioned transfer portal, um, NIL is a big thing with college athletics right now. I think here at the university we talk a lot about that with with men's basketball. How much does that impact Missouri? conference soccer is that just kind of a widespread thing how many schools have nil for soccer how does that work for you guys yeah i think nil hasn't really made its way to men's soccer quite yet i think with some of the power five schools it's it's um you know part of the ball game but not not imminent or uh or really widespread i think for some of the top players it is a thing um you know the caveat with internationals not being able to get nil does change a little bit for for men's soccer specifically because there is a strong international base throughout college soccer um, and at University of Evansville and so they can't get NIL money so it kind of changes a little bit of the approach because some of some of your team just can't even get it Um, I think the transfer portal is is here and it's part of the new uh, ecosystem in college athletics and I think um, you know there's no reason to be mad about it because that's the way it is and um, you know, I think it, it gives and it takes. With the transfer portal and the flexibility for athletes, do you feel like you have to value the relationships away from the soccer field more now? Not that you wouldn't have, but you're still able to coach the guys hard, but you have to have that relationship with them off the field too, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, every kid's a little bit different. They have different needs. And, you know, I think transferring can be uh, the right decision for some kids and the wrong decision for others. And I think you have to navigate each kid individually, um, which is hard. Um, but at the same time, you know, we want we want people to choose to be at Evansville. That's the big message to our guys is we want guys that that want to be here and want to work hard and uh, really know the history of the program and and realize what they're the uniform that they're putting on ties them back to to a lot of good times and a lot of historical success and you know that comes with you know i think it's a great pressure to put on the the, that uniform and i i want our guys to know that you chose evansville back in january of 2020 uh what led you here what was that connection because i know you were at louisville as a volunteer assistant coach before that so what was the connection yeah i I think um you know being in kentucky you, you know evansville um i played with a couple of graduates from evansville in the summer leagues and things like that so I knew I had followed the program because of playing with those guys um, at Louisville we had scrimmaged or played in preseason or spring a couple times against Evansville and so when the, the job opened up I was definitely interested reached out to the, my buddies that had played here and then had actually played un, played under Marshall when he was the assistant um, and they were like yeah go for it and you know I, I liked that it was close to Louisville because that's where my wife is from and so she was still living in Louisville at the time so we could 
it was easy to navigate and um you know i had a lot of respect for the program just knowing a little bit about it knowing guys that have played here and um knowing a little bit of the history i've definitely learned more since being here but you know it's a historical program that has had a lot of success and i thought that was a cool thing to be a part of marshall ray of course was the head coach when you came here and i know he still comes around and supports the program now that he is no longer coaching uh what's your relationship like with coach ray and what did you learn from him working under him yeah me and marshall still talk um quite often if we don't talk at least once a week it's a weird week i guess um he he definitely wants to know what's going on with the program what's uh, what's happening uh you know he's our biggest advocate my biggest advocate um uh, i think working under him you really come to understand you know how much he loves evansville uh, how much he cares about the program how much he cares about the university um, and he he's so passionate about it. I think it's hard not to become passionate about Evansville as well when you work with him. You know, I think in terms of soccer wise, I think he taught taught me how the program had been run in the past and things that have worked. And, you know, I think we worked together on maybe finding some things that we could change a little bit to, you know, get a little bit better, better each year. You know, he, he's definitely one that has a long-term vision and a, a big picture perspective. And sometimes that's hard for me to have because I'm so... <laughs> caught up in one training session or the day-to-day and so I think we had a nice balance between those two things. In your one as the head coach you're certainly working with you know for the most part the same players that were playing under coach Ray so was that a challenge at times to maybe not change too much because you want to put your own touch on it but also again these players are used to you know a different leader and now it's you. Yeah I think that was definitely an adjustment I think in terms of you know functional things like I I did do a lot of the training sessions and Mm -hmm. helped run those so I think they were used to my voice especially in the the soccer uh, aspect um, and but I think off the field you know I, Marshall's definitely a little bit older he was a little more like a father figure I was kind of like the fun uncle in a lot of <laughs> ways and so I think that dynamic does have to change when you become head coach because you're making playing time decisions you're uh, disciplining guys when you know they're not doing what they're supposed to and so I do think that dynamic does change a little bit. You grew up in Houston Texas you're telling me pretty close to Rice University uh, what was life growing up for Robbie Tarver I'm sure you played a lot of sports not just soccer so what was like growing up in Houston yeah I mean life was uh definitely sports all the time um I think you know my parents said my first word was ball after (laughs) mom and dad and you know I think the weekends were them shuttling me back between whether it was baseball practice in a soccer game or a soccer game in a cross-country meet or a basketball game Uh, I played five sports in in high school freshman and sophomore year and then eventually settled on soccer as I got a little bit older say when did you know soccer was the path you wanted to go was it just by far your best sport or what was the reason you kind of stayed in soccer it probably coincided with a couple of things I knew I didn't want to do cross-country long term (laughs) because you're just running um it was good good fitness for soccer but I didn't want to do that long-term basketball I'm only five six so there was a limit on how good I could be um baseball when they started throwing 90 mile per hour pitches I was out so soccer was the one where uh I was getting better at soccer at the time and it was kind of fitting for where where I had developed and I was, you know, I was enjoying it more, too, as I got older. Your college career was at uh, Center College, which is Division Three in Danville, Kentucky. So how do you wind up there from Houston, Texas to Danville, Kentucky? Yeah, the, the conference that Center was in at the time um, had a lot of Texas schools, so like Trinity in San Antonio, um, Southwestern outside of Austin. So I was familiar with those schools and was looking there, and uh, that led me to look at some of the other schools in the conference. And Center's coach uh, was really intentional about wanting me to come 
to center. Um, and I, I'd really wanted to go to Trinity and I felt like they had kind of under recruited me a little bit. So, uh, having the opportunity to go to center was, uh, appealing cause we got to play Trinity each year. You know, there were some division one opportunities, but I, I valued playing and, and I thought the school at center was, was really good too. So it was kind of the combination of being able to play quickly and, and school that set center apart. What kind of player was Robbie Tarver? You're a two-time captain on the team. Uh, what position did you play and how would you describe yourself as a player? <laughs> yeah, I played, uh, I played outside back, uh, left-footed. Um, I would, I would, <laughs> I would call myself passionate. Uh, maybe some could say out of control. Uh, but I think, you know, I was probably more uh, an example by my actions in terms of how hard I worked. And I never thought that we were going to lose a game. Yeah. Uh, even if we were down 2-0 with two minutes left, I thought there was somehow we were going to win the game. Um, and so I think that kind of was how I played. And, you know, if the ball's going out, I'm sliding. I, I was probably the dirtiest every time uh, I left the field. Um, so, you know, it's kind of funny as a, as a coach, I maybe value guys that are a little more technical and a little calmer than I was as a player. But um, maybe maybe it's I, I, I came to grow to appreciate what I wasn't as a player. Sure. I was going to say, you're probably a lot different, just your mentality as a coach than you were a player, right? Maybe. I think uh, it probably takes me a little bit longer to, to get as passionate and mad as a coach. Um, I think most of the people that know me would say, wow, you were a lot calmer on the sidelines <laughs> than we thought you were going to be last year. Yeah. But I, I think that does change a little bit as the assistant and the head coach too. You know, you realize like the guys uh, really – follow the energy of the coach and how they're projecting uh you know if, if I'm freaking out they're freaking out so I think I try to be really aware of that and intentional to to stay calm after your playing days at center I know you played a season in Costa Rica right uh, how much I guess how much professional soccer did you play after your college days yeah I mean not it was kind of it was not professional okay. so <laughs> it was basically the attempt to go pro mm -hmm. um you know um, my coach had a connection that was down there, so I went and played in the third division there. And it was like, hey, if it goes well, maybe a, a team will sign you that's in the, the next highest tier, which would be professional. Um, and so I was an, an assistant coach at center at the time, and he was kind of allowing me to pursue that, that uh, dream. Uh, and goal and so you know he really worked with me uh, Jeb really worked with me to be able to do both coach and also keep trying to pursue that dream and you know it didn't work out but I, I think I at least tried and uh, you know no regrets with that. Is he the reason you wanted to get into coaching? Is there a certain role model you had like hey because of him I want to coach when I'm done? Yeah I think he he was definitely part of it um, you know it's kind of weird when I was like 12 I was playing baseball and I was not playing well, so I got benched, and the head coach was kind of like, hey, come sit over by me. I think you're going to be a coach one day. And for some reason, that always stuck out in my head. Um, you know, when I was little, I loved playing the video games, like uh, the college football game, but I didn't like to play the game. I liked to recruit, and I liked to um, – kind of be the GM mode on Madden or whatever, not actually playing the game. So team creation and, and doing that sort of stuff was always of interest to me. Let's shift back to this program a bit. There was an exciting announcement recently. You guys are getting a $1.2 million turf renovation to the soccer practice field uh, where they play intramurals there along the Lloyd Expressway. Uh, what does that do for your program? Not only in terms of with the guys that are here, but being able to show that off with recruiting. How big is that renovation for you guys? Yeah, I think it's it's super impactful um, in terms of being able to always know that we have a space on campus to train uh, regardless of the weather 
Um, and I think for, for us in women's soccer, it really eases some scheduling um, in terms of we both like to train at the same time. And so there's always a space on campus now where we can train. Um, I think even bigger we'll, in the spring, we'll be able to have a place to train outside right away. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to just be the armory or going out to Gable off campus. And so having somewhere on campus that we're able to train and we know that we have it. And, and I think it just um, eases a lot of scheduling difficulties and uh, brings a lot of peace of mind that we're going to always have somewhere to train. Mentioned the spring schedule starts Saturday at IU. It's a, a 12 o'clock start there. You guys will have, I believe it's seven spring matches. Tell us about this group, the guys that are returning from last year, plus some, some new pieces uh, maybe that you'll be adding in the future. What do you like about where this program's at as you head into the spring season? Yeah, I think, um, you know, last year was disappointing. I think we had a lot of big goals uh, coming off the two MVC finals appearances, and we didn't reach those. So I think it was a good time for us to kind of reevaluate and recenter and, and, and focus on what we felt like could return us to those big time games that we want to play in. Um, and so I think we have a really strong core uh, of guys coming back that have been in the program for a long time. I think, um, you know, a lot of guys that have played in two MVC finals and they don't want a repeat of, of last year. Um, and so I think it, you know, we're, we're forming a good foundation right now in spring with a lot of guys that care a lot about the program and where they're going to leave, leave the program. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's super important when we're talking about kind of riding the wrong of last year. I'm curious, uh, as you go into the spring schedule, how is that different than the regular season? Is it, is it more relaxed? Do you experiment with more? What do you hope you got of the spring schedule? The biggest thing is experience. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, guys that, that maybe didn't play as much in the, in the fall getting, a chance to play against college opposition, uh, not just train. And I think you, you have ideas about a player, but until you see them in a game-like situation, you don't really know how they're going to respond to things. Um, and so I think, you know, in the past springs, we've had standout guys that, that we didn't expect to maybe step up, you know, maybe like a Porter Pomacall or, or a Matt Hawkins. And then the year after in the in the fall season, we saw those guys be really impactful. Um, so I think the spring's a great time to get uh, young guys experience and see them play and I think you're also trying to get um, you know see the who connects on the field and what kind of variations of, of formations and uh, the relationship between players and and for us right now it's it's who's going to be a leader as well. A few of those matches will be at home. Um, are fans allowed to go to those games? Is it free admission? How does that work for the fans? Yeah, I worked it out with Logan Bells. It's, <laughs> it's free admission. Um, you know, I think for us, our roster is like around 30 guys right now. And so that's why on two of those days, we're playing two games just okay. so everybody can get extended minutes. Um, and I think this... Uh, this spring we're playing a lot of good oppositions regardless of division and I think it's going to put our guys in a lot of situations where they're going to have to figure it out and I think that that's going to be great. All right let's finish up with this I do it the first time I interview somebody um, whether it be on a coach's show or a podcast it's a rapid fire segment to get to know you off the field so um, I've got 10 questions for you who is your favorite athlete of all time? Uh, Messi for sure. Uh, favorite sports teams? Uh, all the Houston sports. Away from soccer What's your favorite hobby to kind of just get away from the sport? <laughs> My wife would say I don't have one. And <laughs> I more soccer, right? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more soccer. Uh, I would say right now pickleball. TV show and movie? Uh, Peaky Blinders, TV show, and then uh, movie, uh, Remember the Titans or Miracle. If you could trade places with a celebrity, who would you want to trade places with? Maybe for a day, just see what it's like. Uh, probably Matthew McConaughey. Why is that? 
I think he's lived, you know, <laughs> and he has a unique perspective on life and getting in his head and seeing what he sees and how he thinks I think would be pretty cool. You've always been involved in soccer, but if you were not a soccer coach, what would be your job? Uh, I would I would want to be an archaeologist. Um, yeah, Indiana Jones. Uh, what social media app takes up too much of your time? What are you always on? Twitter. Uh, do you have a coaching superstition, something you have to do before the game? I always get dressed left to right. Um, for whatever reason, I did that when I was playing and just kind of have continued it. Music-wise, it's kind of uh, two questions here. What's go-to music to listen to on game day and also just casual listening? What are you tuning into? Yeah, um, game day is kind of more relaxed music. Mm -hmm. I amp myself up enough, so <laughs> kind of slower tunes I like to get into. Um, in general, I, I have a pretty wide range of taste. I like um, kind of indie rock or, or folk music, um, but also... I can listen to some rap or some rock, so and, and pop even too. So I like it all. Last question for you: Favorite part about the University of Evansville is what you've been here just over four years. So what's been your favorite part? Uh, I would say the people. Um, I think there's just a close knit community of people that care, and I think um, you know in college athletics you don't always find that, and so I think it's uh, it's a fun group to be around, not just within men's soccer, but also the athletic department as a whole. Well, Robbie, thanks for your time. Glad to have you here at Evansville. Best luck in the spring season and in year two. All right. Thanks, Devin. Coming up next, we'll talk with Ziggy Zickfried, Director of Athletics. He gives a wide-ranging update with the athletic department. Uh, we'll talk men's basketball, NIL, across all sports. Uh, scheduled next year for men's basketball, the hot topic, will USI and UE play? And also a preview of the spring season, baseball and softball just underway. That's coming up next. Aces on the Air, brought to you by Tronies and powered by Learfield. Ziggy Zigfried, Director of Athletics, joins us now. Aces on the air this week. And uh, Ziggy, thanks for stopping by again. It's been a couple of months since you, you came on and, and gave us an update. First, I want to start with, we just heard from Robbie Tarver. He is the uh, men's soccer coach here, and he had the interim tag removed back in the fall. And, and you mentioned kind of your reasonings for removing the interim tag on him last time you stopped by. But again, just kind of your thoughts on, on the job Robbie's done so far in a short time. Yeah, you know, I think Robbie's done a great job since he stepped foot here as an assistant coach. And He's continued to do a great job as a head coach, just building for the future. He's he's someone who uh, I've always said this. I want people who are going to wake up every morning thinking about UE athletics, in his case, uh, men's soccer, and go to sleep at night thinking about it. And I know he's going to do that. I know he can recruit. He's very strong recruiting internationally. And just overall, he's going to get it done, and he's going to build something special. Exciting announcement involving soccer and also the intramural fields, the $1.2 million turf renovation. Take us through some details of that. Yeah, so um, as many know, the Division Street property sold uh, several months back to Wesselman Woods, and we lost a soccer field now we're able to uh, pick up a beautiful turf soccer field for both of our soccer programs and we're also partnering with intramurals so that project really came about it's been discussed now for probably six months and it's just great that we'll be we'll be seeing that very soon is that something that other sports will be able to use outside of soccer or be strictly soccer you know the focus is going to be for soccer mm -hmm. um and and that's what we're trying to do i know we don't have all the facilities we need yet but i like that baseball has their own space 
I like softball has their own space. Golf in the armory, you know, the, the armory is a shared space. And we're trying to do the same thing for soccer. We are in the middle of, of men's basketball, really coming down the stretch run here. Just a few weeks left before Arch Madness. And it's been an exciting turnaround for the men's program. 15 wins this year. We've had some exciting home games as well. I know some heartbreaking losses recently. But just a turnaround from year one to year two with Coach Rag. We had the conversation about how he was created a culture in year one. You know, the wins are going to follow down the road. They're starting to do that. So what's impressed you most about what they've done here in a short amount of time in year two? You know, it's it's been great to see the turnaround. And, and Coach Raglan and his team, they're doing things the right way. And I know that's a little bit like, you know, maybe everyone would say that. Right. But the way that he cares about the student-athletes, the way he cares about the community, and the way he cares about culture says a lot. And what it says to me is he's trying to continue to build something special. He always says, you know, uh, a storied program. And he is going to do it for long-term success. That's been focused from day one. We're not trying to do an overnight turnaround, mm-hmm. even though it may look like that because it's uh, going a little bit faster than, than maybe some would thought. But what we are trying to do is build this up for, for long-term success. Get that success back that was here in the in the 90s, really, and, and obviously before then. So the Aces, they need one more win to clinch a winning record for the regular season. And when you do that, you do qualify for some postseason tournaments. So uh, fingers crossed. The Aces win a couple more games here down the stretch, but if they do finish above 500, is that something that they'll entertain playing in a postseason tournament? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Coach Raglan and I have been talking about that since a few weeks back, and obviously our our goal is to make a run in St. Louis at Arch Madness and go to the NCAA tournament. Sure. And I think this team can do that. Our backup plan would be, you know, there's t- there's other postseason tournaments, CBI, which will be in Florida. CIT, which uh, is a little bit different setup that goes to a different host sites. So that's what we're looking at and, and probably leaning towards the CBI route. And with those postseason tournaments, that's changed because it used to be on sites at different campuses, and now it's just in one location, as you mentioned, Daytona Beach, Florida. So in terms of money-wise and cost, how does that work within the budget? Is that something you have to go out and fundraise for quickly, or how does that work, basically? Yeah, so generally it would work where you do have to fundraise the money or make uh, room for it. So it can cost anywhere, you know, uh, you're really looking at about $30,000 plus travel, a little bit less than that, actually. But for uh, a lot of these tournaments are put on by organizations that also put on multi-team tournaments and stuff like that. So for us, we're we would partner with somebody who would basically make this a part of an overall package for a potential MTE tournament. It'll allow us not to have to pay that check this fiscal year, which which is which is nice because we're uh, you know everyone needs more money, including us. Now speaking of, of some money with with NIL, um, that's a big thing in college sports now, and and with the season Evansville is having, uh, they've brought in some pretty good players, and the hope is hey we keep them for for several years, right? So NIL has become a big deal. Um, I know that you guys have started a collective. How about an update with that and how that's working here at the University of Evansville? Yeah, so try to make this quick, but if you look back um, when we first arrived, when I arrived, Coach Ragland was hired. We created an infrastructure. We had we partnered with someone outside of Evansville who used to work in the NCAA to create a collective. That was created. We did a bunch of other things around NIL, but being candid, it, it almost was like it was a facade. We uh, we built the foundation, but we didn't really have anybody contributing to those uh, collectives. And we and and just so I put this out there, we did have some. Fast forward, you know, we start to have success. There has been ongoing conversation probably for about six months where we thought it was important to get Evansville people or Purple Aces to own a collective. 
And that is what has pushed forward very quickly. We actually have some uh, people involved, including former players, who are looking to start a collective very soon, a new one. In addition to that, you don't have to have a collective for people to do NIL deals. So we've had about five or six NIL deals uh, with men's basketball. We've actually had a couple with women's soccer, too, Mm -hmm. where people right now are doing NIL deals directly with the student-athletes. So I would say we are progressing with the NIL landscape probably quicker than most. I'm not saying we're at the top of the valley. I'd probably put Indiana State, maybe Bradley there. But I would say we're we're top half for sure. You mentioned those specific deals, but in terms of the collective pot overall, is that athletic-wide? Is that sport-specific? How does that work? Yeah, so that's actually something I was just talking to uh, this morning about with the people who are looking to start the new collective. And I don't think they would mind me putting their name out there, but Scott Treffler's one and, uh, and also Aaron Kendall, Chris Bomba. Uh, Jeff Anderson. So hopefully they're okay with me saying their names. <laughs> we'll find out. But um, our recommendation is always going to be we want these to be open to all of our student athletes, or at least making sure there's a balance between the men and the women, because we want to support everyone. So what I would, uh, what I believe, it's it's not. We do not own the collective, so we can't make the final decision, but our recommendation is to keep it open for all student-athletes. But even if that does not happen, NIL deals will continue to put resources there for our student-athletes to be able to get deals, whether they're playing in a male sport or female sport. So I get asked this question a lot about, you know, future schedule and teams you're playing. So as this program continues to progress, what do you hope to see in in both you and Coach Ragland in terms of teams you're playing teams you're bringing to Ford Center. Of course, the, the big question is, will you and USI ever play? Yeah, so I can address uh, – it's a good time – you know, I've kind of been eager to talk a little bit about this, even though we, I know we don't put it out there publicly, which now we will. So USI and UE, we've both said the same thing for a long time. We want to play each other, but it has to work for, for both sides. So if you look at, um, you know, kind of our preference, and again, I'm being candid, I'm probably overly transparent. We would like that to be they play us at the Ford Center. We handle it like we would uh, other OVC schools, and we typically will pay a certain amount out for them to play you know we get the ticketing revenue we've also been open to doing what's called a two for one which is they play us twice at the ford center we go play them once at usi so we want to play and i know they do too i know their preference would probably be a just straight up home and home but there's a lot more that goes into it we have you know we're, we're in the ninth best conference in collegiate basketball the mvc we have scheduling parameters. And for instance, this coming year, we have to play four what's called Q1, Quadrant 1, Quadrant 2 games. That means we have to play teams that are ranked at a certain level four times in non-conference. We don't have the luxury to always do the home-and-home deals. That's why we try to pay people to come play us here at the Ford Center. I hope that answers the question. It's not what everyone would, would maybe like, but that's the truth of where we are right now. Yeah, and on the men's basketball scheduling side overall, you know, we want to play, we want to get people at the Ford Center like Xavier. We would love to get Butler. We'd love to get all these teams. And they're dealing with similar things that we are related to USI, where they are trying to get as many home games as possible because of how it impacts rankings. They are also, uh, you know, they're not as willing as they used to to do like two for one deals. It's based off of a relationship. Um, So 
we're trying. Craig Snow leads scheduling for us. So both he, Coach Raglan, and I, we meet constantly. I have made so many calls, and there's a lot of people that want to play, um, but everyone has their own preference. Kent State, for instance, we want to do a home-and-home home with Kent State. They want to start there. We want to start here. So that's where the negotiations come in play. So ultimately, we're going to do the best we can to get the best teams possible to come play us at the Ford Center. And I think you'll find that the, the schedule will continue to be uh, enhanced. Let's shift to women's basketball. They have six games left in their season. Just picked up back-to-back conference wins at Valparaiso and home against SIU. And also a tough battle against a good Missouri State team on Saturday. But I know it's been a difficult season in terms of wins and losses for them. But it seems like they're starting to play better second half of the season. It's been a young team and they have a couple of good freshmen. Yeah, they really do. Nevea Thomas, Maggie Hartwig. Um, and you also look at, you know, sophomore and Kennedy. They're a team that had a lot of adversity early on, you know, lost close games. And, and that's tougher on freshmen and sophomores than it probably would be on juniors and seniors. So I think that that was tough for them. I think it was tough for Coach to kind of get them uh, to still have the confidence that they could win. But what they've done now, um, and and I can't say that they're healthy because we have a lot of players out, but they have the confidence that they can win, they can compete. And I think that's going to pay off long term. They're playing the best basketball they have all year, and I think that that will tie into how the season goes next year. And when you have your, you know, some of your top players being that young, it's usually a positive sign for uh, for the future. I'm curious from your perspective and in your role, when you evaluate how programs are doing. College sports is so different now with players moving around and shifting. So, for example, women's basketball the first two years, you know, Robin showed that improvement in terms of wins and losses. This year it's been down. So how do you evaluate that in today's college athletics when you look at the programs? You know, what you don't want is you don't want a program that every year you're saying they're young. That basically means that the older players are not staying here. They're moving on and you continue to recruit. So you want to have a good balance of, you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors. And you can mix that in with the transfer portal now and make sure you get some experience in, kind of like what men's basketball's done. So, you know, really what I would like for us to build here with some of those key programs is sustainable success every year where we're not having to do a rebuild every few years. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the goal. Um, And I think that's why uh, coaches have to be on top of their overall recruiting and looking far ahead and understanding they need to fill gaps when it comes to experience with that transfer portal. Um, So that's that's my philosophy on it. Spring sports underway, a team that is not young, that is baseball. There's a ton of experience on the roster, a high expectations placed on them after the fun last two years. Good start for baseball this past weekend. They go to number 26, Oral Roberts, pick up a series win. So a nice start for baseball. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those those guys are fun to watch. Uh, I can't wait to watch what this season has in store for us. And we're not getting way ahead of ourselves. We know it's a long season. We know there's ups and downs in all the seasons. But Coach Carroll has put a really strong non-conference schedule in place, so we're going to compete against some of the best teams in the country. He is basically positioning us to – we don't want to always have to depend on winning the conference tournament, even though we'd like to with it being at home, to get into the uh, NCAA regional. So what I'd like to do is we'd like to get – you know, three Valley schools in and us be one of those. And basically winning the tournament would just be icing on the cake. So that's the goal. But just really proud of Coach Carroll and the program that he's built. And, I mean, you could probably write a little mini book on, you know, how he's 
gone through some adversity. They struggled for a couple of years, and he looked himself, uh, I wouldn't say looked himself in the mirror, but he looked very closely at the program and made the decision to maybe do things a little bit differently. And now he's built something. He is building something extremely special. The conference tournament will be here in well, about three months. Um, so what's the update in terms of getting ready for the conference tournament? Yeah, so one thing is we have a project that will start next week. A uh, big shout-out and thank you to ARC Construction, who is funding a uh, close to $100,000 project for us, which will expand the press areas to take. There's the platform on the first base side with the purple and white tent. And there's the same thing on the third base side. Those will now be covered um, uh, permanently. And they will also have air conditioning and and all those type of amenities. So uh, it's going to be nice. That started and there is a lot of work, weekly work going into making sure we're prepared to put on the best possible championship that we can because we plan on having it back here in future years. I want to step away from being sports-specific here, athletics as a whole. We've had conversations before uh, about you know staffing, putting people in the right place. So a couple of new people have started, I think, since the last time we talked on the podcast with Kelly and Ted and fundraising. That's just an example. So where are you guys at in terms of staffing? Yeah, you know, it, it's – it feels so good to have some of the people that we have on board that are pushing things forward because for us, it takes, it takes a team to be able to do what we're going to do here. Um, you know, it can't all be done by a couple people. And so we have a great team that we're building. I still think that we can uh, even build a stronger team in the future. But you talk about someone like Kelly Gates, who has so much great experience uh, just in our community as a whole with relationships she built while at Fifth Third Bank. And, you know, I was just on the phone with her and she's talking about the excitement for, you know, another gift that uh, she believes coming in uh, to the department. You have someone like Ted McCord, who's focusing on, you know, athletics annual gift. So the Purple Aces Club and stuff like that. And he's someone who's eager to make sure we continue to build up the foundation of giving. Those people who start off as $100, $500, $1,000 donors who later will become the major gift people that, you know, Kelly Gates and, and others will be talking to. So really happy with our staff. We have some hard workers, as you know. And uh, and I think we have, a, we have a really bright future of people and they care about the Purple Aces. Last update I'll ask about the uh, pathway to excellence. Um, that you have put together um, with you and, and the committee. Stepwise, where is university at with your, your pathway of excellence and what is the next step for you guys? Yeah, for us, um, we're in the path that we are implementing all strategies and initiatives of all six of the goal areas. And uh, we're meeting regularly to track uh, kind of success there. So we've, uh, you know, it would take a while to go through everything. But what I will say is we've already accomplished a lot of the initiatives that we said we're going to accomplish. We've been able to check those off the list. Now we're focusing on those that, um, that are kind of the next step of the process. But you ask about next step. What I'd like to do is, as we get finished with the spring season, is really do something a little bit bigger to update everyone on all of our progress. Because there's been a lot, and some people may not be aware of some of the successes that we've had because of those goals, strategies, and initiatives that we've set. So communication would be the next step. Let's finish up with this. Um, I know a big-time Evansville supporter, um, Larry Meeks, is battling some, some health issues. And I know you wanted to say a couple words about Larry because he means a lot to the university and so many. Yeah, and everyone who knows, uh, you know, Larry Meeks, you know, just loves the guy. He's, he's kind of a, a guy who uh, – 
I don't know how to explain it. He has that he has that personality where he's uh he's funny to the point, uh has kind of that country country uh feel. But anyway, yeah, we're thinking a lot. I talked to Larry the other uh day and you know, he's the type of guy that's never gonna give up. Um and I know it's very serious. Uh you know, the he has cancer and um obviously it's it is spread. So, but he's going to continue to battle. And he even talked. He said, "Hey, when's the next game?" And he's going to try to come. So, uh, yeah, just just thoughts and prayers for Larry. And uh, he's done so much for our program. And just since I've been here, the relationship that we've been able to uh, build is—he's just an authentic guy. And uh, we definitely love him. Well, Ziggy, appreciate you stopping by this week. Ace is on the air. Looking forward to a fun finish with basketball, and of course, a fun spring with baseball and softball. Again, thanks for your time. Yep, thanks, Jevin. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. 